Hello and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Sean Douglas, podcast producer at the National Trust. And in this episode, we're once again bringing you a story to inspire you during lockdown. As lockdown measures ease, many of us are looking back on our time away from normal routines and contemplating some of the positive habits we've picked up during this time. Be it learning to cook, finding new ways to connect with loved ones or a new appreciation for natural spaces. Many of us are wondering, are we going to be able to maintain these new habits when things start to get back to normal? One person that's had to navigate this tricky transition in the past is German aerospace engineer Paul Zabel whose story of his time in isolation may help us maintain some of our new habits when the old pressures of life start to prevail. My name is Paul Zabel. I'm an aerospace engineer and I work for the German Aerospace Centre. Paul's job sees him working on life support systems that may eventually support astronauts on missions to the Moon and Mars. These are places where Paul is unlikely to see his work in action. But in 2015, Paul was given the opportunity to join a crew on a mission where he'd be in charge of testing a life support system that would help subsist an isolated crew in one of the furthest flung frontiers known to humans. Paul was going to Antarctica. The continent of Antarctica is the next best place you can go, which is very similar to living and working on the moon. So it wasn't quite the moon or Mars. It wasn't even the job Paul was expecting. The official title was systems engineer, but the most commonly used description was Antarctic gardener. Yeah, I was doing gardening and growing vegetables in Antarctica. Paul was going to be part of a team that would be tasked with building and transporting a space greenhouse called Eden ISS to Attica Bay on the Eskim ice shelf in eastern Antarctica. The Eden ISS would be stationed at a research base where Paul and the crew would spend 12 months. But for nine of these months, they'd be isolated from the outside world. And Paul would be solely responsible for the crew's supply of fresh food. There was just one problem. Gardening wasn't Paul's particular forte. I've done some, some gardening as a child in the garden. Yeah, I would say I had not much experience with that. So in just a few weeks, Paul had to master the scientific gardening art of aeroponics. So soil normally already has all the nutrients the plants need. And when you water the soil, the water dilutes the, the nutrients and make them available for the roots and the plants can use the nutrients to grow. But with aeroponics, things work differently. The roots are basically hanging free in the air and are sprayed with water and nutrients every two minutes. So it turns out Paul's skills as an engineer were perfectly suited to the task of space gardening. We have a very technical greenhouse. We control the climate, the temperature, the humidity, the CO2 level, all the systems that keep the plants alive so that they can produce food for the crew. So, after months of preparation, it was finally time for Paul to make his way to Antarctica. But even the first leg of this adventure could be an epic seven-day journey. So for Paul, it was first a flight from his hometown of Bremen to Munich. From Munich to Cape Town. Then a layover of three days for his Antarctic-bound flight. From South Africa, you still need about six hours flight. 
And at the start, this just felt like another routine flight. The normal flight number and you go to a normal check-in desk. But instead of boarding a normal flight, you, you fly to Antarctica. Then you sit in this airplane with people from different countries. They are all really excited. You enter the aircraft with summer clothes. The, the crew's cooling down the aircraft. And then everybody is changing to polar clothing. I'm Bas Verplanken. I'm a professor of social psychology at the University of Bath. And Bass's main area of research is into the psychology of habit. Most people don't realise how many habits we have. And that comes to the, to the fore when you either want to change behaviour or have to change behaviour. We very often have an overestimation of how easy or how good we are in changing what's, what we usually do. So we, we overestimate our willpower. Baz says one of the most effective times to get the better of your habits is at a time of drastic change. So when you're devoid of all the routine and triggers that allow your old habits to prevail. Habits are not triggered by your motivation or your willpower, uh, your intentions, but are triggered by cues in the environment. The eight o'clock cue, for instance, is a trigger to, to go to work or certain moments in the day trigger you to, to take a snack. These are not things that you decide. It's not willpower. It's, it's the environment that, that cues it, that triggers it. So Paul's lockdown in Antarctica and our lockdowns in our homes would create these almost blank canvases for creating new habits. So is there something we can learn about how to take advantage of this situation from Paul's experience on his mission to Antarctica? This was a question that was right up Baz's street. When I heard about Paul and his work in the Antarctic, I found it very interesting. And especially, yes, the connection with the lockdown is interesting. And there are some real parallels between Paul's experience and ours. When you come out of the aircraft, you have no trees or buildings, no wind, a lot of sunshine. I think the initial shock is probably very big. Some people get very anxious about it. Some people love it. I was going on my knees on the ice and taking my, my hands out of the gloves and yeah, taking snow and ice in my hands to feel the ice in Antarctica for the first time. It takes another two and a half hours to the German research station fly over the frozen sea ice and then you also see the research station standing there in the middle of the white ice of Antarctica. As Paul acclimatised to the research station, the reality that this would be his home for the next 12 months started to set in. The station currently had a population of around 60 people, but as winter approached, this would dwindle to a small nine-person team that would be completely cut off from the outside world. So, no supplies in and no supplies out for nine whole months. And the changes to his life seem reminiscent of what many of us have experienced over the last two months. Basic things like getting food, getting supplies, dealing with work and relationships, everything, everything has to change, basically overnight. And as well as adjusting to his new group isolation, for much of his time in Antarctica, Paul would be isolated, alone and away from the crew. 
Our greenhouse is located around um, 200 meters away from the station. 200 meter distance doesn't sound really far, but in Antarctica, especially during a storm, it takes you much, much longer. The, the longest it took me was around 35 minutes for those 200 meters. And just like many of us have experienced, going outside in our new normal can take on a completely different significance. Making sure your face is covered, packing your gloves and hand gels, avoiding touching surfaces. And once you're outside, running the gauntlet of the two metre distancing assault course. Paul's commute to work was only slightly more treacherous. You need special polar clothing that you have to put on so it's it's a little bit like putting your spacesuit on when when you have to leave a future moon habitat but when you go out of the station first you don't realize how windy it is because you are yeah protected by the station but once you go away from the station you are really hit by the wind and you have to stabilize your footing so that you don't fall over then you start walking and there is like a, a rope going from the station to the greenhouse where you can yeah which you use as orientation because you cannot see that far during the storm so you have to be careful that you're not drifting to your right after a while you feel the cold getting through your clothes and, and it starts and your fingers and your shoes and, and in your face. Where we have fresh snow, which is not yet frozen, you can be in, in the snow up to your knees. You wear very heavy polar boots with a lot of insulation. And then every step you have to lift those heavy boots and push it through this um, deep snow. And that's very, very exhausting. So especially during a storm where you can only see for a couple of meters, um, it's, it's really cool when out of the blowing snow you see the greenhouse emerging, uh, you see the lights, then you walk up the stairs on the platform where the greenhouse stands on. When you close the door, it's nice, warm and cozy. The biggest change is really the smells, like the smell of a pond. You then have all the smells coming from the plants, like tomato and cucumber plants, the smell of basil. Other crew members really like to come to the greenhouse because it's the only kind of nature you have. And, and smelling that is, um, is really exciting every day uh, you go there. It, it doesn't stop. <laughs> And like many of us, Paul started to treasure the light relief that can be found in nature. Here's Baz Verblanken again. You really need comfort. It's interesting to see that uh, that people are are looking at birds. Uh, they uh, people who are lucky to have a garden. They uh, they appreciate uh, working in the garden. I think both situations uh, were were having that. As Paul started to get used to his new blank canvas, he started to build new habits. So a typical day in Antarctica, small breakfast, check the weather. Then I put on my polar gear, go to the greenhouse, checking that nothing happens during the night. After doing that checklist, I would start with the experimental work, harvesting plants, sowing plants. Yeah, all, all the typical things you have to do in a greenhouse. You get used to that kind of rhythm. 
Apart from his growing appreciation for nature, another new habit Paul was forming was how he related to his family and other people. Strangely, rather than putting a strain on the relationships he had with loved ones at home, Paul's lockdown was making these bonds stronger. You need other people to support you. Humans are extremely adaptive and uh, extremely inventive also. You have a telephone line, internet connection, so you can stay in touch with friends and family at home. You do that even more often than you would do that in your normal life because you know that you can't meet with them. I think the modern technology is fantastic in these situations. And Paul started to change the way he communicated. Rather than the instant messaging we've all become accustomed to over the years, video chat became Paul's preferred method of contact, which is something that lots of us can relate to. I mean, who was swapping the family group chat for a family Zoom conference before lockdown? Seeing a face is probably a more intense communication than just hearing a voice. Yeah, you can transmit more emotions and more things by seeing the face of someone. You realize how people feel better um, than with, with messengers. You don't waste time on, on useless things, so to say. Some of the relationships uh, definitely are deeper after Antarctica. He also started to find that he had more appreciation and deeper compassion for the people around him. It's always uh, the same faces. You see those people every day when they feel good, when they feel bad, when they are stressed. I think that empathy uh, improves when you're in Antarctica because you think twice about people and you always try to understand them. As Paul's time in Antarctica continued, so did his acquisition of new habits. But as the 12 months drew to an end and Paul returned to his old normal, would his old routines force him back into his old habits? It's not easy to maintain those habits because you're back in civilization and you're influenced by all the people um, surrounding you. you. You kind of live in a bubble in Antarctica for, for, for one year. And then you're coming back to civilization and... You're again influenced by the normal habits of people and regulations and routines. And if you want to keep some of the spirit that you put up in Antarctica, you, you really have to think about it and, and put energy into it. I think the lockdown is a good opportunity to think about your own habits. It's a good thing to have a fresh start, having a new hobby or or doing more things with your family, or doing vacation in your own country because you are forced to instead of flying to the other end of the world. I think it's a good opportunity to, to rethink your normal yeah, daily routines and habits and, uh, and also a good opportunity to change some of them. For all the negatives that have come out of our current situation, there have been some positives. Things like our compassion for others or our appreciation for nature. So how can we maintain these new habits when we start to go back to our old lives? The habits that may stick are habits that, that relate to an important value. They are much stronger and they have much more chance to be maintained. So that could be, for instance, a friendship or a renewed friendship, which immediately connects to an important value. And those kind of habits have a, a greater chance of surviving. The appreciation for the jobs that we are so dependent on now, uh, delivery drivers, uh, nurses and so on. If that could be retained, that would be a fantastic thing. 
It's also important to remember that during this difficult period, we have, as a global community, achieved things that only months ago would have seemed almost impossible. Things that we've been looking at for many years. People work from home more, less CO2, less pollution. We did it overnight. I think that reminding ourselves of what we actually have done and could do is an important step that we can hopefully retain uh, into the future. Thanks for listening to the National Trust podcast. Next time, we'll be uncovering the mysteries that surround the summer solstice. And to make sure you don't miss that episode, subscribe to the National Trust podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more audio programmes from the National Trust, go to nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. So until next time, from me, Sean Douglas, goodbye. Goodbye.